You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. We'll take your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 16 through the end of the chapter tonight. And uh, glad you're here tonight as we enter the new year together, not just in um, celebration and in worship in a general sense, but specifically in commemoration of the body and blood of Jesus and what that means for us. Galatians chapter 5 tonight, let's begin in verse 16. Before we get there, just a word of instruction, a reminder, we added something new that we probably will keep doing as a church, at least some form of it, in the bulletin. You'll notice on the last, um, if you open up your bulletin, be on the inside of the last spread is a responsive reading. And so at the end of our service, we'll have a brief time of reflection, response, invitation, and then I will step down by the table, and I will lead us in that responsive reading. Um, and so just be prepared for that. Um, and that kind of allows us to enter into and come to the table with a little bit of uh, liturgical reflection and uh, just add something to our, our observance this evening. So just that word of reminder, I'll cue you on that at the end of the service tonight and look forward to sharing in that time with you. Galatians chapter 5, let's pick up in verse 16. We've been looking at this series, Plus Nothing, a study on gospel grace in the book of Galatians. And let's pick up in verse 16. Paul says this, Galatians 5, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, in contrast, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Notice these last couple of verses in our text tonight. And they that are, Christ, that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. And so I'll look at tonight this aspect of God's grace, grace spiritualized, grace spiritualized. Let's pray today, tonight. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you for a good spirit and attendance this evening as well. We pray, Father, as we now come to the table and as we commemorate again anew and afresh in our minds and hearts what you've done for us, I pray that it would um, move us, it would challenge us, it would encourage us, it would feed us. Um, Lord, thank you for the gift of the gospel, not just in its theological form, but also in these um, pictures, these portrayals of it that you give us through the ordinances of baptism in the Lord's Supper. And we pray you'd help us to do right by you this evening as you cleanse us and restore us and renew us through this time together. I pray you bless the preaching of your word. Help me, Lord, to be faithful to the text and to be guided by your spirit 
Help us each, Lord, this evening to be under your word, and then, Lord, to allow your word to not just stir us, but to change us, not just to be heard, but, Lord, may we be doers of it this week. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you accomplish in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, the other day I came across a picture. How many of you like Chinese food, since this is an eating thing tonight we're doing? All right. How many of you believe that the marriage supper of the Lamb may be served by Chinese people? Did any of you lean that direction? Uh, I love to get into debates, deep theological debates with my fellow pastors on that. Hey, what do you think the menu will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Um, and it probably will be something that, that none of us have tasted before. Um, the other day, someone posted this picture. They sent, I don't know if this, is, this really happened, but this is a picture, um, and see if you can see what it is. And then here was the caption. Somebody said this, these little freezer pops from the local Chinese place are awful. I do not recommend them, all right? Um, my guess is those are probably soy sauce packets, okay? But somebody thought they were freezer, you know, little, you know the little things you squeeze into your mouth as you eat them. Um, can I just say to you as we begin this evening, as it relates to the Lord's table and elsewhere, that we need a greater sense of discernment. We need a greater sense of what really is going on and how we're to merge into the spiritual realm of what God is doing. You do know that the room we're in this evening with all of its oxygen and, and the walls and the, the pigment on the walls and all the things that are elements, the chair you're sitting in, that there's another world another realm that's more real than the one we're breathing in and moving in this evening, and that is the spiritual realm. And the grace of God cannot be fully understood, applied, and assimilated into our lives until we understand its spiritual ramifications and implications uh, in our lives. And so we want to talk for a few minutes tonight how the Spirit of God intersects with the grace of God. Uh, Brother Scott Pauley, who's a, an evangelist I respect greatly, just preached at the men's conference some of our guys were at earlier this fall. Um, he said this recently. He said, we don't need more church members. We need more spiritual church members. And that's my prayer for our church in the new year. If God grows our church numerically, amen. That's great. That gives us more potential to reach the world with the gospel, to raise up the next generation of whatever God wants to do. But ultimately, what we need is not more church members in this church. We need more spiritual church members. All those other things will take care of themselves. And we cannot be more spiritual if we're trying to do it even in sanctified flesh versus through the grace of God. Uh, and so I hope tonight God will tug at your heart and challenge you where needed to let the grace of God be more spiritually what it should be uh, in and through you. And may I say tonight as we begin our tendency to gravitate, gravitate away from the grace of God and toward the legalism of, legalism of, of man is the result of emphasizing the physical over the spiritual. And I'm not talking about emphasizing the hedonistic physical thing. I'm talking the religiosity that's physically oriented more than it is spiritually oriented. And so this section tonight shows us that we're intended to live in grace through the Spirit of God, not the flesh, even the scrubbed-up religious version of it. So the question tonight is, in a day of surface-oriented religions, how do we rediscover the grace-fueled spirit of Christianity? Let's talk about tonight two spiritual emphases that we see here that Paul gives us as we process the grace of God in a way that is faithful to God's Word. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes about spiritual anticipation. Spiritual anticipation. Um, 
Uh, we talk about owning the future. Like, wouldn't you like to know, for one, maybe your retirement portfolio or your investments or maybe new ones you're considering? Wouldn't you love to know? Um, this, the stock market suffered this year, okay? I don't know if you've seen the numbers or not, um, but it was not the best year for those that were investing. I don't know what it is you wish you knew you could see into the future, but those who own the future are those who are possessed by and directed by the grace of God. The grace of God is moving us somewhere. The grace of God is preparing us. And those that are flat-footed as we enter the future, whatever this year has for us, are those who are maybe even believers, but they're walking with fleshly sight and perspective instead of the grace of God that allows us to see around the corner and to be prepared for that which God has yet to reveal to us. And so we need this sense of anticipation that only comes by God's Spirit. All right, a couple things as it relates to that here in the verses that we have read. Number one, we need to anticipate with the spiritual promises of God's grace. So the way that we anticipate with God's help and God's grace is we focus on what He has promised to do for us. Go back to verse 16. This I say then. Here's the promise, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall, right? There's the future, ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So a couple things about these promises that we have, they're only ours through the grace of God. Number one, he promises what is displacement. Um, if I were to empty this glass tonight, and I walked up with just this, this plastic cup with me tonight, and I said, I'm trying to get all the air out of this, this cup, what's the quickest way to do so? It's to fill it with the very thing that's in it right now, which is water. It's not about trying to say no and force out all the fleshly tendencies in this room. That's not really the main challenge. It's to be filled with the Spirit that displaces all of our fleshly tendencies. And so this promise that is ours, if we will simply yield to the Spirit. Um, I don't know if any of you shop at Aldi or not. Um, some of you said you tried to go there today and they were closed. And any, you figure out half of Worcester was shut down today. It was New Year's Day. I just went to church as normal and we were trying to host some folks that are newer to our church and couldn't find a restaurant barely that was open this afternoon. Um, but somebody's joking about Aldi and we, we shop at Aldi about how they'll have like the same product, but it's a different brand, you know? And somebody was saying Aldi is almost like entering a parallel universe, that has the exact same of everything, but it's got a different name or brand to it. You know that there are parallel universes working, and if we can sync up with the Holy Spirit of God, it will push out, it will displace what are often our carnal tendencies. Legalism can never provide that. It can never promise and deliver on that. Only the grace of God. And so he invites us into this communion with him by his Spirit that pushes out, that displaces all of these fleshly tendencies. I want to, this year, walk less in the flesh and more in the spirit, don't you? And the tendency is to focus on, man, I wish I'd stop thinking about this and saying this and doing this, and it's all about saying no to those things, when in reality, the, the answer is to say yes to the spirit. Lord, take control of my tongue today. Guide my tongue with your spirit. Guide my steps. Guide my actions. And, and giving control, yielding control to the spirit. Verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So in verse 17, he talks about the idea that the spirit and the flesh are in constant conflict with one another. It's like oil and water, they cannot get along, they cannot coexist. 
Now, just a question tonight, because this is something that we probably all get frustrated with, especially as we enter a new year. I want to take that next step spiritually. Why does God leave us after salvation from the teenagers um, to the adults to the kids, all of us this evening? Why is it after we get saved that, that it it's hard to do right, and it's so easy to still do wrong. Why does he leave us with that? Why is that our experience as believers that have access to um, his grace? I would submit to you tonight, I think it's actually a gift from God. Um, just to ask you a question tonight, what if we all were perfect this evening, and we came to the Lord's table? We didn't have any struggles or flops or failures over the last few months since we last observed this table together. It would it'd be good. I, I would enjoy celebrating that with you. But isn't there kind of a bittersweet aspect of even the struggle and the tension in this current life? This, that's God's will. He's chosen for this to be our life until he frees us from this body. That actually we appreciate his grace. We, we, we surrender to his spirit because we desperately need it, right? We can't, the end of verse 17, he says, you cannot do the things that you would. You, you can't get this on your own. You got to have someone helping you. And so the struggle, the tension actually um, encourages us and points us to a greater reliance upon um, the Holy Spirit. Instead of, so instead of removing the old nature, God has given us his spirit. Remember we talked about in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, I can't remember when we studied on this, where Paul says um, he begs God to remove the thorn. And what does God do? He gives him what? His grace. He doesn't say no. He doesn't say yes to the request. He just says, my grace is sufficient for thee. And so it's the desperate needs, it's the struggles, it's even the weaknesses that we have in our flesh that cause us or should cause us to lean into and submit more fully to the Holy Spirit. So our part in this conflict in verse 16 and 17 is just to yield to the Spirit. And so the flesh here is contrary to the Spirit May we lean into that potential, that tension to displace the flesh that we so struggle with. At any point in our life, we will live by one of two things. We either live by the flesh or we will live by the Spirit. And every moment is defined by one of those two um, controlling influences. And so may we choose to say yes to the Spirit. And the moment we say yes to the Spirit, we're saying no to the flesh. There is great potential in this promise. All right, verse 18. But... If you be led of the Spirit, all right, so he just got done saying, you cannot do the things that you would, especially if you're leaning on the flesh. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Number two, promising liberty. So we anticipate with the spiritual promises of grace, first, that it will displace our flesh. Number two, it promises to us true, authentic liberty. Here in verse 18, Paul summarizes and emphasizes that the godly life is not lived under the rules of the law, but is a life led by the Spirit. That is a key statement. You want to be free? Stop looking to the law and letting others tell you what you should do or not do. Instead, listen to the Spirit of God. Where the Spirit of God is, there is what? Liberty. There is freedom. Um, that comes. Sin enslaves us. Our flesh brings bondage. The Spirit brings liberty. And so as we walk in the Spirit, as we yield to the Spirit, and we receive this grace day by day, it delivers on liberty. Um, obviously, <laughs> excuse me, obviously as it relates to salvation or our sanctification, we do have a choice to make. We have something we have to do, and that is simply we trust in that promise. Faith in Christ to save us, 
faith in the Holy Spirit to sanctify us. Um, I have found the Spirit can clean me up and grow me and stretch me much better than me trying to jump through hoops that other people give me to jump through. If I just follow the Spirit, it's amazing how much more progress I can make spiritually, how much further along I can be, how much closer I can be to the Lord who is growing me. And so listen to those promises, anticipate with those promises by trusting in grace. The flesh, even a religious form of it, always overpromises and underdelivers. The grace of God will always exceed your expectations. Trust it, believe it, bank upon it as you live out your life before the Lord in the new year. All right, go to verse 19. And he now unpacks some specific manifestations of this flesh that we so battle, and probably one or more brought some conviction to you as, you, as we read through it a moment ago. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Number two, jot this down. So we anticipate... First of all, with the spiritual promises of grace. Number two, we anticipate with the spiritual warnings of grace. So he's now going to warn about these are things that are out of bounds, and then here are the ramifications or the results or consequences of these things that when we're not spiritually minded, when we're not funded and fueled by grace, uh, we slip into. Um, Any of you in the room, I'm sure the teenagers have heard of it, any of you heard of a very wholesome game, a very just very healthy game called Exploding Kittens. Anybody heard of this game? All right. And the youth gang, I mean, the youth group taught my boys this game. And so they, they, my son bought this game uh, at uh, the bookstore. He got a gift card. And I thought it was called Burning Kittens, which my sons thought was hilarious. Um, it's called, they actually have another, have you heard of this teens? Imploding Kittens. Have you played that game as well? That's like, that's the real pros play that game, by the way. But anyway, um, exploding kittens. And so you're, you're just drawing cards and you're trying not to pull an exploding kitten because if you do, then you die and you lose, okay? It's the weirdest game. I, don't, I do not know where this came from. Anyway, somebody's made a lot of money off of this. Um, you do know that our flesh, you give enough room, it, it's going to cause harm. It's going to rear its r- uh, ugly head. It's going to cause havoc. It's going to hurt Uh, and explode on everything and everyone uh, that we influence. And so Paul here says, the Christian that has the same sinful nature as he did before salvation can fall into these same areas that maybe in the past had more of a grip on their heart and mind, that when it's not by grace alone, uh, that we can slip into these, uh, these sins. And so he gives these spiritual warnings of grace. Um, And if we're not careful, we can live by something other than the means of grace, which is sometimes even a highly religious manner of living, and yet produces these sinful tendencies. All right, let's talk about two of them quickly. Number one, he gives, first of all, some warnings about works. He warned uh, these believers about some works. And in verses 19 to 21, he lists these, and we'll just work through these quickly this evening. Uh, First of all, he says in verse number 19, the first manifestation or work of the flesh is adultery. And this would just refer to unfaithfulness in the marriage relationship. If you notice that marriage has fallen on hard times, it is now so devalued and so debunked that even Christian circles, um, well-known Christian so-called music artists, just hosted a same-gender marriage at her home just a few weeks ago or is about to do so. Marriage has fallen on hard times because we're not walking by the Spirit. Uh, We're not letting his spirit guide us, and so we begin to open the door, Pandora's box, to things that devalue and destabilize um, this institution from God called marriage. 
Uh, number two, he uses the word fornication. This would be a form of, uh, of any um, illicit type of sin or relationship. It's the same word from which we get our word pornography. Pornea is the word there. And so that's a warned um, sin that often we slip into when we're not walking by grace alone. Number three, notice there in verse 19, he says uncleanness. And this would be a broad term, a pretty encompassing term referring to any moral uncleanness in thought, word, or deed. So it could be something tangible, could also be something that's intangible. But all of these are sexual sins, immoral things that we slip into when it's anything uh, added to or subtracted from God's grace. And then the last one that it's a little hard to pronounce, maybe lasciviousness, um, it just it refers to an open, shameless, just brazen display of whatever you want to do with your flesh. It's just kind of out there. You don't care how it's perceived. It's very blatant. It's very shameless. It's very open. Um, and so we see these first four words that are used refer to immorality, uh, not being faithful morally in, in these areas that we can digress to, into when we are not uh, walking in the Spirit, when we are not walking by grace. Um, by the way, these sins are represented in this room tonight. Um, if we would talk especially of Christ standards as it relates to pornography, looking at a woman is the same as committing adultery. Probably every man in this room is guilty of that in some capacity, probably in the last month or so or last week or last day. Unfortunately, statistics would bear that out. Um, the others that we've mentioned there, this, this, this intrinsic tendency to digress in these areas when we are not walking in the Spirit. And may I just encourage us this evening, any of us, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, we are all susceptible to this, are we not? We have got to walk in the Spirit. We have got to take full advantage of the grace that God has given us through His Spirit to avoid not just the sin, but the consequences of it to our marriage, to our ministry, to our testimony uh, for the cause of Jesus Christ. This ultimately, this, this sin is not a physical issue, and I just want to emphasize that this evening. Sexual sin ultimately has nothing to do with physical. It is a spiritual issue. And if we're not walking in the spirit, the flesh, with all of its wrong spiritual influences, will gain a toehold, will gain a foothold in our life. I'm sorry to be blunt this evening. I know we have kids in the room, but just this thought. Sigmund Freud, are you familiar with him? Um, who wrote a few things on this area and did so without God included in the equation. He said that religiosity is pent up lustful desires, um, to which one author said this. I think this is very astute. He said, actually, this immoral desire is pent-up religiosity, the need to be fulfilled. The obsession with our world of this very issue is because we do not realize yet we don't have everything we need that only God can give us. And so we crave and we hunger and we look for the next thing, the next thrill, the next pleasure. We as God's people who have the Spirit have no excuse to digress in these areas. And so the first four here we see are in the area of immorality. All right, notice the next two are more religious in nature. So those would be the ones that are more in your face and a bit jarring. Notice verse 20, he goes on to say, idolatry. Um, and so these two religious sins, we see some immoral sins listed and then two religious sins. Idolatry would be involving the worship of pagan gods, Likely, he may be thinking of, the reason he went from the previous four to this one is a lot of times immorality was a part of pagan worship. Prostitution and other things that would be included in that worship. 
And so he says, we have no business being a part of idolatry, we who have access to the Spirit of God. Lastly, in this section, witchcraft. Um, this, would be, this comes from the Greek word uh, pharmakia, which is the word we get pharmacy from. Um, in ancient times, the worship of evil powers often was accompanied by the use of drugs um, to kind of bring the worshipers in or to sustain the, the frenzy of that, um, that unfaithful worship. You know, one of the things I love about the Spirit of God is unlike false religion and carnal activities, we don't have to prop it up. Like, I don't need to tonight use some mechanism, a manipulative technique to convince you that what God's doing in, our, in this room is substantive. It's, it's important. It's a value, something for you to enter into. You want to know why? Because of the Spirit of God. You, you sense Him. You feel Him. You can, you can sense there's something here and God's stirring in you. And so if the Spirit is present, it pushes out uh, our gravitation toward um, even these religious or these spiritual sins that creep into our hearts. All right, the next eight now that he lists are in relation to us, societal sins or horizontal things, issues that come up between us when we are not led by the Spirit. And we'll work through these quickly this evening. Verse 21, I'm sorry, the end of verse 20, he goes on, hatred. Um, there are reference to uh, the, the verb form there is in the plural, or the word there is in the plural, denoting this enmity that grows between groups and it feeds on itself. Um, next, there are variants. Um, this is the, the, the sequence. After we have hatred, then we have variance or division, as we see the Galatian church so struggling with. Uh, emulation uh, refers not to a godly form of jealousy, but to a sin-fueled um, one or a self-centered type of jealousy. Wrath, that would be an outburst of temper, often comes as a, an eruption of a smoldering kind of jealousy or rage that eventually just bursts out of uh, the life of that person. Uh, strife, this would be kind of a self-promoting attitude which shows itself in working to get ahead of others, no matter what it costs them, just getting the upper hand at all costs. Uh, seditions and heresies describes what happens when people quarrel over issues and personalities and petty things that cause hurtful divisions. Um, just a sidebar, <laughs> some people don't know how to do church without having friction. It's almost like that's church to them. Like we think of church, hey, you come and you sing and you read the Bible, and to them, you find somebody to pick a fight with. <laughs> it's, just, it, it's amazing how some that's such a normal part of their existence, and may we not be found in that group uh, as the Spirit displaces that. Lastly, envy. This would be just an evil emotional bent, a wrongful desire to possess what belongs to someone else. And so all of these things creep in and create division between us when we are walking in the flesh instead of walking in the Spirit. Legalism can never address the divisiveness of the flesh. Even when it's cloaked with religiosity, only the Spirit can produce unity between us. And as we come to the table tonight, we're not coming individually, we're coming corporately, and we only can come corporately through the grace of God and through the Spirit of God that brings us together. All right, lastly, in this area of warned works, notice he lists two that relate to alcohol, and we see these referenced in verse uh, number 21. Notice the end of the verse, he goes on, envyings, and then these, these last uh, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like. So murders is obvious. That can lead us either to hateful things or to murderous things. And they list these two, drunkenness 
and revelings. Drunkenness refers to excessive use of strong drink. Revelings likely refers to drunken carousing or the partying that's commonly associated with um, this uh, activity, the God, if you will, of wine and, and just reveling in that and, and, and celebrating in that and all the debauchery that goes with that. And so these two are also a part uh, of those who are not led by the Spirit. Um, tonight, in a minute, we just have these little cups we'll partake of, but you cannot partake of the Lord's table. You cannot drink of His cup uh, if this has a toehold in your life. You cannot uh, be everything that the Spirit wants you to be. Ephesians 5.18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with what? The Spirit. And so again, we see this tension between alcohol and the Holy Spirit. And so may we be Spirit-led and avoid the, the consequences of these works of the flesh. All right, now, lastly, in this section, and we'll get to the positive. Notice the end of verse 21, he goes on. So he says, and such like. So Paul's not saying this list is exhaustive. He's saying there, we could talk for hours about the flesh and different profiles and manifestations of the flesh, but here's at least the high points or the low points, if you will. And then notice he says at the very end of verse 21, um, of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past. So he's saying, this, this is not the first time I've broached this subject to you, Galatians, that they which do such things shall not, not inherit the kingdom of God. Lastly, in this section, jot down warned exclusion. So he warns them about their works that are independent of the Spirit. He warns them of the exclusion. This is not to say that a Christian loses his salvation because he lapses into a sin of the flesh, but that a person who lives continually in such a state of moral corruption gives evidence that they are not a child of God. Um, if this list defines you, if this is the primary leading characteristics of your life, Paul says you're outside of grace, you're outside of God, you're not, you do not possess relationship with him. Um, one of the things I'm so concerned about in our day is how we have so um, deviated in some areas or dumbed down the standards that God has for us as, as just believers, as families, things we tolerate uh, on the screens in our homes, the things we listen to, the junk that we just, it's so normalized now that we're numb to, to how God would view it and the opportunity we have to opt out of those things. A lady I, I've read recently, a few books she has written, she said this recently. She said this, with, with his own precious blood, Christ purchased your ability to say no to sin. Think about what it costs God to give you that privilege and that opportunity. And then he's deposited into us the Spirit of God, and we still say yep to sin. We still say yes to sin when we could say no. Um, and so this privilege we have, this stewardship we have, this spiritual anticipation of the blessings when we do right and the warnings that God graciously reminds us of if we do not. And so the Lord's table is a place of anticipation. It's a place of looking forward and being prepared for the future. So may we let his spirit and his grace prepare us through these promises and these warnings. All right, second and number two, let's spend the balance of our time in these last few verses. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Number two, let's talk for a few minutes about spiritual reliance. So the Spirit not only gives to us um, these uh, sources of anticipation, but number two is someone that we are to rely upon. Um, 
You ever watched a movie, especially like, I'm thinking like old school movie way back, or you're watching a movie that's portraying like back in the, when the royals would have like servants, you know, that brush their teeth and like put their clothes on and take their clothes off. Me, I'd be like, I'll pay you to stay away from me, okay? I would never waste money having someone all up in my business helping me get ready in the morning. That's like torture for me, okay? Um, you know, as it relates to legalism or our move away from grace, that our resistance to the grace of God plus nothing, where we don't get to add anything or subtract anything, listen to me, the main reason we all slip into that in different ways is because we like to rely upon ourselves. Um, there's so much self-reliance in this room, and some of that's good. You understand, you know, pull your up, yourself up by your bootstraps or earn a living or whatever. I'm not saying that all of that is wrong, but as it relates to our relationship with God, there's just, we want to do something. We want to somehow earn it or feel like we contributed in some way. And if you want to be filled with the Spirit and you want to be, and you want to be guided by and sustained by the, the grace of God, you have got to let go of that and just rest in and just rely in what God has already done for you. If you heard tonight someone say to you, well, how to get saved is you have to do this and stop doing this. You, you got to do something or stop doing something. If you heard that um, this evening, um, man, you would reject that with everything you have theologically. But sometimes in our walk with God, our relationship with God, once we're saved, we start to add back these things that displace the Spirit of God. All right, let's talk about a couple things and we'll be done. Number one, rely upon the spiritual power of grace. And he talks about that in verse 22 and 23. Rely upon the spiritual power. What does this power give us? First, empowered growth. Um, This fruit of the Spirit is evidence of spiritual growth. It is significant that the apostle distinguishes between the flesh by calling them works and by calling that which is spiritual fruit. Works are produced by human energy, even religious human energy. Fruit is produced by being, is abiding in Christ and letting the Spirit produce it through us. Um, One author said this, it's as different as a factory and a garden. Is your spiritual growth, you think you're growing and progressing, but it's mechanized, it's manipulated, it's contrived, or is it just, I'm just walking with Jesus and submitting to his word, and it's just, it's organically, that's the buzzword of the day, right? So overused, but are things just happening and I'm not saying what I used to say. I'm not thinking the way I used to think, and it just kind of sneaks up on you. Um, That's the feel of grace. It's a garden. Uh, It's not a factory. I'm not saying there's no part we play in that, but it's still guided by um, the Spirit, which describes your growth. Factory growth and getting everybody to robotically do what you do and you do what others do, or is it a garden? A garden of grace is where I want uh, to live. The end of verse 22, he goes on, Um, to list, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. You notice it is a singular fruit. It's not plural. Um, Legalist, and and I'm not saying my wife is a legalist. All right, let me just qualify that before I say what I'm going to say. I I showed you a picture of my wife last Sunday of the checklist she has. She loves lists. Legalist, unlike my wife, who is a grace-filled, godly woman, okay, who's checking in on me somewhere in the future on this message. Um, Legalists love lists. Don't you love that the fruit of the Spirit, it's just all or nothing? 
I can't compete with you and I can't compare to you and you can't compete and compare to me as far as checklists go. Either it's growing and happening or it's not. It all goes together. It all falls together. It all rises together. And that takes uh, the Spirit of God. And when you look closely at the fruit of the Spirit, as we're going to talk about for just a moment tonight, and see that one aspect of it cannot be seen in isolation from the others, you see how far short we fall, right? Man, I, I think I got, uh, for example, we'll talk about these, but I got love. But if I don't have joy growing as well, love's nothing either. Like it all hangs on each other. It all hinges on each other. And so it reminds us of how much we need to grow and how desperately we need the Spirit to help us uh, to grow uh, in these areas. So empowered growth. Number two, empowered virtue. And let's talk about these virtues quickly, these areas that uh, God wants to enable us to grow in. Um, how many of you stayed up till midnight last night? All right, a few of you. How many of you were out at your normal time? Okay, several of you. Um, my uncle who lives in Florida, he put, he said, here's the caption, this is how I plan to spend New Year's Eve. And then this picture. <laughs> I love it. That, that, if the Buckeyes were playing last night, that would have been me, okay? That, that's my New Year's plans right there. I'm just out cold. Um, do you know that, that we grow weaker as the years go by? We need God to help us. We need his power to work in us. This power that fuels us to develop these virtues. So let me just quickly give you a brief definition of each of them. Love, so the first three here have to do with um, our relationship with God and God enabling us to possess these. Love uh, obviously is listed first because it's the foundation of the other virtues. Joy, this deep abiding inner rejoicing we studied about this morning. It does not depend upon circumstances because it rests in God. It rests in who He is and His control over all things. Peace. This inner repose or this inner quietness, even in the face of adverse circumstances, it defies human logic and understanding. It's peace that passes, Philippians 4, understanding. Uh, patience, these next three would have to do with um, our relationship with others. So the love, joy, and peace is more how we view God, how we relate to God. These next three would be how we extend um, this virtue to others. Patience, this quality of forbearance even when provoked. Um, I love this part of the definition. It entertains no thoughts of retaliation, even when wrongfully treated. Um, I know for me, my defense mechanism when I'm wronged is to at least think in my mind what I would love to say or do, right? That's therapeutic. I'm never going to do it. At least I hope I don't. But I love to just kind of think, man, if I had if I had a chance, buddy, you know, I'd cut you off too. And here's what I'd do when I did so, or whatever the case may be. I'm just talking abstract. That's not actually a specific illustration, but it's so uh, tempting to have that. No thoughts of retaliation. Uh, kindness. This has the idea of benevolence and action um, in a way that mimics God, who shows us his kindness in tangible ways. Uh, goodness. Um, the idea here would be both being upright of soul as well as having action of reaching out to others to do good, especially when it's not deserved. That's the level of goodness that only the Spirit can produce in us. All right, and then the final three have to do with just general conduct that we have that we're known by, um, that we're only known by if the Spirit rules and reigns in our hearts. Uh, first of all, notice there he says, um, goodness, and then you see next, faith. And the idea here would be faithfulness. Um, this is a quality which renders a person both trustworthy or reliable. 
Um, man, we need more of that in our day, don't we? Just people we can count on and being someone that others can count upon, not because of our own fickle up and down flesh, but because of the spirit that sustains us and helps us. I found this to be true, just this word of maybe encouragement. People who feel like they should be in church tend to always be in church, whether that's just conviction or commitment and people who don't just, it just doesn't always happen. Um, and, uh, and so encourage you, whether that's in that area or another, let the Spirit help you be more faithful in the new year. Uh, gentleness. Um, this marks a person who is submissive to God, uh, to His Word, who is considerate of others um, and willing to do so consistently. Gentle, even when giving discipline or confrontation, there's still a gentleness of tone that the Spirit produces. And then lastly, he talks about meekness and temperance. Temperance specifically there is the idea of self-control. This denotes self-mastery and no doubt uh, primarily relates to curbing our fleshly impulses. So being controlled by the spirit instead of being controlled by self. Um, The battle tonight is not us becoming someone who gets involved in seances and witchcraft. I I doubt, as is referenced earlier, that's our main tendency. It's It's just we're choosing to worship self and follow self more than to follow God. And the Spirit is trying to steer us away from that tendency to let the Spirit be the one that guides us. Key statement tonight, every one of these virtues is foreign when we attempt to plant it in the soil of the human heart. Like, I am, I am listen to me, I am naturally none of these things. I'm talking real love. Not, yeah, I'll say something nice and say Merry Christmas or Happy New Year talking when I really have to love like God loves, I do not have that ability in myself. I mean, we could go through each of these. Therefore, they must be grown by greater reliance upon the spirit, not the flesh. That's where the legalist gets it wrong. We have to muster this. We have to try to legislate this. Um, And so through that effort, we will only compound our fleshly issues. We need the spirit to produce this fruit. It is fruit of the spirit. The irreligious person does not repent of sin. The religious person, um, the irreligious doesn't repent at all. The religious person only repents of sins, but the Christian who understands the gospels, one author says, repents of their self-righteousness, trusting in their goodness and in their moral efforts. So let God free us from that as we look at this fruit. All right, lastly, for just a moment, look at verse 24. He says, and they that are Christ, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Number two, rely upon the spiritual refinement of grace. Rely upon the spiritual uh, refinement of grace. Um, Grace is not meant just to cleanse us positionally. It's also to cleanse us progressively as we cleanse ourselves of certain habits and mindsets and attitudes, and the list goes on. And so it is refining us by grace. Um, we, this last week, some of our days that we had a little slower, we did some house cleaning and organization. And I don't know if you ever try to clean your house or organize your house. It's always a fun time, right? For us OCD people, we love it. Everybody else is like, oh, here we go, you know, and here we go again. We just move that or just organize that. Um, <laughs> someone say cleaning is just putting stuff in less obvious places. Does any of you clean like that? You know, can't see it. It, it must be okay. Do you know that's basically a definition of legalism? Just putting stuff in less obvious places? God wants to bring our flesh into light and deal with it comprehensively. 
deal with it systematically. And, and as we let it be in the light, as we let God deal with it by His Spirit and His grace, He cleanses us, He refines us in ways that otherwise we cannot experience. And this would be where this ties in with the Lord's table this evening. Because this tonight may be for you the moment you get saved. In just a moment, we give you that opportunity. But for a lot of us as believers, it's just it's, it's examining ourselves, right? This is a moment to be refined and to be prepared as a clean vessel that God can fill and God can use uh, in the new year. And so how does God refine us by his grace? Well, back in verse 24, you notice he says, And they that are Christ, that are Christ, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Number one, there is a refining death. This death of Christ, this crucifixion of Christ that we're to identify with is what frees us and what cleanses us uh, from this sin and its constant pervasive appeal to us. This does not mean that our sin nature is after salvation eradicated. It's not rendered inactive, but it has been judged uh, as true. And so we have to believe in that. We are free. We are dead to sin and we are alive unto God. And so faith must continually hold of this truth that he just said there in verse 24. And the believer who is tempted to secure victory by self-effort must abandon that self-effort and rely upon what Jesus has done. If we could save ourselves or cleanse ourselves in any other way, Jesus would not have done what we're going to observe and commemorate this evening. He gave himself because there was no other way. And so our cleansing comes not through religiosity, but through the death of of Jesus Christ and our identification with it. Lastly, notice verse 25, he goes on, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Number two, refining unity, refining unity. And you see here that as we walk in the spirit, we're unified with the spirit. It also produces unity with other believers. Um, I don't know if this is too hard or too maybe painting with a broad brush, but if you were to ask me why churches split and why we're known as much for splits, we're known for two things as churches, aren't we? Hip, we're a bunch of hypocrites, right? That's what's often leveled at us. And number two, all we do is divide. And if I had to boil it down to one thing, all the petty issues and all the things aside, sometimes valid concerns that are just mismanaged in some way, the issue is we can't get along because we're relying upon the flesh in whatever area we are. And flesh plus flesh always equals division. But where the spear of the Lord is, there is unity. And tonight, if we're going to stay together and stick together and grow closer together in the new year, we have got to do this in the spirit. We have got to do this by grace alone. These callings to growth, these callings to whatever, God leads us in in the new year. If you go back to verse 15 that just precedes the text we're looking at, he says, you're biting and devouring one another. Take heed that you be not consumed one of another. That's what happens when you're a legalist. That's what happens when it's fleshly kind of religion. We turn on one another. And so God helps us to be unified, refined in that unity as we walk in his spirit. The Lord's table is not about what we can do or not do. It is all about humble, thoughtful reliance upon the grace of God through Jesus. Can I say that again? The Lord's table is not about what we can do or not do. It is all about humble, thoughtful reliance upon the grace of God through Jesus. Everywhere you lean upon yourself is where you're going to fail in your relationship with God. 
and your relationship with others. Lean upon, rely upon the grace of God. Um, if I were to ask you, how do we as God's people reject God? Like, what's the number one thing we do in a general sense to push back against God? And maybe a way that we miss. Um, pastor friend of mine said this, and I think this is so true. He said, we usually reject God not by subtracting from him, but by adding to him. You would never strip from God the things that we know to be true of him. Here's what we do usually. Here's how we reject God. We make it on our terms, is we start adding things. And what the grace of God calls us back to is grace plus nothing. We, that's rejecting God. The moment you add to him in any way or to his grace, you're, you're, you're rejecting the God who gives his grace. Don't, don't reject him tonight. Don't add in some way. Let the Spirit, let the grace of God alone uh, be enough. And as we observe the Lord's table in just a moment, these elements, the crackers and the grape juice, or anything else that we have in our, our religiosity, even good things like we're about to participate in, they're just plain silly. They're just plain nothing. To nibble on them, to t take them in our hand, and to put them down in our mouth, if you will, this evening, if they don't represent something greater, a spiritual reality, the reality of God's grace um, that they represented. So may we tonight pr pr uh, choose to live by grace plus nothing, by discerning the spiritual anticipation and the spiritual reliance that God's grace calls us to. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word tonight.